On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we debut our new sound equipment. It's the most exciting part of the podcast. Oh, actually, we also have Matt Davidow, who um, gets into some touching stuff about uh, a friend of ours that uh, we recently lost, and we get into some pretty interesting conversations about football, uh, college, and pro. And so with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage is sports game. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where Rufus and I have brand new equipment and we may sound better and sound more professional, but hopefully we'll still be able to interrupt each other as much as always. Um, we're joined by probably someone that is on the top of our list of people we respect as a sports better and an advantage player. Um, and now it's gone to the dark side. Uh, Matt Davidow, uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Um, before we get into this, uh, I, I think you had talked about, and, and, you know, there's a, a member of the sports betting community that we unfortunately lost last week. I think he was a very uh, big person in the poker world. Um, he was in our Calcuttas and whatnot. Um, Jan, um, can you guys, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last, Suka, Suker? Sukonic. So, yeah. So, um, Matt, I know you had um, a lot of interactions with him. Um, I've only heard, you know, I didn't know him very well. I've only heard very positive <laughs> things about him, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you knew him and sort of like why he was such an important person to you. Well, I, I, thanks for having me on guys. And I, I appreciate uh, this chance. I requested to tell the story. This was uh, at least in my life, uh, the person closest to me that I've ever lost. And uh, I guess when, you know, somebody, especially from this community, I know all seven of your listeners probably know perpetual check from the forums and uh, Jan Sakonica was his name. Uh, I, it's funny. I talked to, uh, it's amazing how many people, especially in like the gambling, the, the AP community, know each other. Like I was, I was approached by a friend of mine uh, from Pinnacle, and he he was like, "Hey, your, your friend that died was that was that Jan?" I was like, "Oh, you knew him?" He's like, "Oh, not really, but he was you know, like one of the original sharps." He called him, and that's kind of. Uh... But anyways, I want to tell a quick story. Uh, Summer of 05, I started like kind of getting into the sports. I, I wanted to bet sports. I went to a forum called Fezzik's Place, which uh, might predate Rufus. Do you remember Fezzik's Place, Rufus, or that was too too far back? No, that was that was before my time, but and did, Fe did Fezzik run it? I guess so. It was right after there was a uh, Stanford wall and John Ferguson. He had a site called... Uh, uh, sharp sports betting right after the book with the teasers. I remember then, that Yeah, and then shortly after that forum, I, I think Anthony Anthony Curtis uh, and his publishing company. That's who uh, who did Fezzik's place. And yeah, that was that was Fezzik forum. This was this was before Fezzik was a pal too. So this was like different person Fezzik. So I remember Fezzik before he was a tout. I remember his yeah. He had a very different reputation, I guess, than he does now for sure um, he was 
at the time very sharp like his message on the forums that was how i got my start this is about my original learning which maybe seems crazy based on some of his current twitter shenanigans but uh lots of <laughs> lots of all caps he, he definitely he definitely knows he loves the shit. caps <laughs> anyways so from that forum yawn had come to vegas i guess for wsop or this was kind of maybe before he would have been into that i wasn't you know i couldn't have afforded to buy it at the time and then briefly at a dinner we started chatting like you know on must have been msn messenger at the time like whatever the, the chat box was and i was playing poker at the time i was basically playing two five limit and like twenty dollars sit and goes you know, this was back when the you get the the skins from party poker like empire uh it's the one i remember there was there was a handful of them you'd get right back and i was you know grinding i was maybe i was making 60k 70k per year using it to you know support myself support my brother a couple friends and i just thought well this 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 ain't bad met yawn and he's like hey we should Bet sports. He had, he had, he was doing NBA stuff. He had uh, like an Excel database. He's like, Hey, we should get this up to date. Put, you know, these quarters, these quarter lines are easy pickings. Okay. I, I literally have my, my, my brother typed in like scores from like 10 straight years by hand, one by one into, <laughs> into a spreadsheet. We started betting just kind of on our own. And the first thing, you know, I did as most sports betters tend to do, you know, started losing. The, bet, the bets were good, but, you know, the good bets don't always win. And I was losing a little, not a lot. Right about the same time, Party Poker killed their skins. Basically, with like they said, okay, no more people like getting pieces of our action. You want to play on our platform, you have to sign straight up. And this was by far the biggest platform at the, the time. And this was like right like in the heat of the poker room, shortly after, you know, Moneymaker everybody was in a poker when they did that there was a little bit to me like writing on the walls all of us know now advantages never last edges never last you know what i thought oh i'll just you know play play poker forever i kind of realized it wasn't i wasn't that good right like there were plenty of players <laughs> way better than me i would just would show up in the games like 12 table eight ten hours that was my um so i was when party killed this, I was like, okay, I've got to try to run this up. I've got to try to get into bigger games. I've got to try to push this and see, you know, how much I can, how much I can win. So I deposited, I deposited a thousand dollars in the account and the rest of the money, uh, you know, that I, that I had, I had bankroll was probably about 30,000 at the time I spent or lost a little in the NBA. This was all starting right about the time. I ran really hot on party poker. I, to a thousand, I turned into like 40,000 within like four or five weeks. It was like early December of 2005. And I was like, sweet, I, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to make the poker money. And then next day I wake up, I log into my account. Your account's blocked. I emailed him. Nothing. Emailed him again. It finally came back to me. Your, your account's under investigation. We think you're a robot. Now, part of me was like, well, obviously not a robot. I'm like, don't have any code. I've, I'm clicking buttons by hand this will be fine. But another part of me was like, wait a second. It's like my entire bankroll now. It was, well, I said about 40,000 completely tied up by some, you know, offshore for all I knew game for me. I had no, you know, I had no recourse. This was all of my money. So again, me and Jan are talking and, you know, just we chat every night, every couple nights, NBA bets, this quarter bet, that quarter bet, whatever. Nothing super serious. We had met each other once. 
And, you know, he asked me how my day was going. Well, not good. They tied up all my money. He's like, well, you still have enough to bet quarters, right? And I was like, no, not really. You know, that was basically all the money I have is tied up on that site. He's like, well, let me send you 40000 I was like, what? So we were chatting on chat box. I met him one time. He knew I was going to gamble with the money. He knew I had no way to pay him back if I lost. And he was like, here, here's 40000 on that teller. Now I was thinking to myself, like, this makes no sense. What's, what's the catch? There has to be some catch here. You know, no one's just going to send another practically stranger 40,000 just on the finger with, well, he did. That was it. There was, there was, there was no catch. You know, that was the start of, uh, I mean, it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't the last thing he did for me, but I I don't, I mean, guessing I've become a sports better either way, but (laughs) man, it, it sure helped. And I think others have the same story. I know, uh, is, uh, the current partner, uh, uh, Dane, has a, has a similar story. And, you know, for everyone that that, that, that knew him, that might listen to this just be, you know, because of money, because they know I'm talking about it. I, you know, I, I want to really miss him. Anyways, back to sports. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. I think that's, um, you know, good a good uh, sort of indication of his character. And I've heard some similar stories about that. So. Uh, just real quickly, as we sort of switch gears and, and um, obviously don't want to trample on that story too quickly, but um, moving on to sort of like, I think what we would love to do today or what I want to do is sort of talk through some of the betting narratives or some of the sort of mainstream um, stories that we hear a lot and sort of dispel them or, 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 um, or uh, kind of discuss them. And so for for our listeners that are new, do you want to give a quick introduction of kind of who you are and what your sort of sports betting, um, you know, resume looks like? Sure, sure, yeah. And then, I mean, life, life life goes on, and you know, we're we live for the now. It's funny, me and uh, me and Jeff were right before the podcast. We both have young kids, and they were, we were just talking. But life goes on. We're we're, we're uh, uh, after <laughs> after my 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 start. Uh, hand typing in NBA uh, NBA quarter scores to, to bet the quarters. I mean, it was so easy then. Like you have like a, say a 12 point favorite, a 10 point favorite. And obviously like the right quarter split is like, say for a 10 point favorite is like what? Three and a half, two and a half, two and a half, one or something. Right. In those, in that range. And the books would literally, they would get the first quarter okay. Like they'd put up like three, three and a half for the first quarter, but then second, third quarters would be two and a half, two and a half, two and a half. So like plus two and a half in the fourth quarter was like 58% play. It was every 10 point dog. It was every night. And that kind of stuff was everywhere. Then I remember there was a, might be not telling the story you want to hear, but uh, the pinnacle used to put up their team totals. And this is, this is pinnacle. And this is pinnacle. It's a very, very sharp. And this is where, Everybody, everybody considered them by far the sharpest line. And, you know, there were some that, 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 that hedged the scalp there. And there were some like me who simply only bet the other side. I mean, I would never bet a pinnacle like into their main lines, but the way they made their baseball team totals, the total will be nine. And they would literally chop that nine up between the two numbers. So you'd have one team would be five and one team would be four. And so, I mean, there were obviously good under bets everywhere. Used our little handy, Excel calculator that uh, that 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 Jan had uh, had come up with and wasn't hard to you know 
find the good underbets when the total of nine has a team total of five and four in a game that might only be played eight and a half innings after all. <laughs> and it was funny because we had a, a pinnacle account then and guy that was privy to it. He saw the fact that we would have all these underbets. So he, he nicknamed us the undermen. You know, he thought we were just good at the unders. Yeah, the Meanwhile, of course, the team totals were just ridiculously placed. <laughs> uh, but went from there to, you know, we worked on handicapping, uh, got into the software development business, some uh, started writing models, simulations, worked with some incredibly, incredibly smart, gifted people. Uh, Elihu Feistel being one of them, wrote a fantastic book. Uh, <laughs> another one of these like original sharps. I remember when he was getting arena lines and everyone thought, oh my gosh, this is like the sharpest guy ever. Meanwhile, of course, the lines were off by like six, seven points. You just had to have like a, a minor clue. Matt, can I ask a question? Really, I mean, just for oh, for people, sure. For the people that might not know why, you know, there's great under bets at five and four if the game total is nine. Do you want to explain that and how the media? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. So, so it's basically the mean median effect, right? So, if a total, if you have a baseball total of nine, I mean, even assuming they're playing nine innings, which so if you split that number into each team's team total, you're you're betting into a median, right? So the the line that's presented to you is say five at fifty percent. That represents the median to to make the line fair. Half of the numbers are higher. Half of the you know scores of the distribution are higher. Half of the scores of distribution are lower. Hence, you know, median. Now, what could tend to happen? What does tend to happen? You know, especially a baseball game. The lowest you can score is zero. The most you can score. I mean, one team can score nine, for instance. So. This isn't maybe the clearest explanation. Maybe Rufus could do a little bit better. You can score more than nine. You could. Well, the total runs. is nine, so, you know. Was... <laughs> but the medians always have to be less than – like, if you if you have a – Rufus, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, right. You, I think you explained it really well because you can't uh-huh. have fewer than zero runs. And so the lower the projection is, the bigger the difference between the median and the mean. I mean, just th- because, let's say – let's say you had a, a, a mean at, at two or something, right? I mean, you know, you can have five or six runs, but you can't have negative one, negative two runs. And so the, the distribution is going like, there's going to be, actually I, the, the great example is I think for someone that's kind of intuitive is for like NFL props. If someone um, averages mm-hmm. a half a touchdown a game, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they get a touchdown every two games. That doesn't mean it's 50%. They get a touchdown. There'll be games. They can get two touchdowns in a game. And so that's why, though the median is, is less than the mean there. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt here. No, no, no. It was, it was, it was good. I, I wish I had a, it's funny. My, our, 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 our traders never want me to try to teach them anything. Cause I, I just, I'm not, I'm not good at, at explaining on a, on a simple level. It's, it's funny that a lot of people say, well, you, you're not good at something. You can't explain it well. You know? I, <laughs> I'm not good at explaining things either, but I'm also not good at things. So. You're not good at explaining anything, but yeah, actually that was one of your better explanations ever heard. I was like kind of trying to see how you guys were going to come up with the median, mean median. It's basically just because the distribution is like truncated at one end, essentially. Yeah. Right. So, um, it's the, it's the new equipment. It's they've helped my, it's boosted my brain power. Okay. So we established that Matt is a expert. He's been around for a while. Um, the thing that I think Rufus always talks about is how, and, and we talked about this a little bit at the sort of like the Calcutta episode where we talked a little bit about, you know, betting into sort of these Sunday NFL lines and sort of like really 
taking on some of the toughest markets. I think that's one of the things I've heard you've kind of been known for back in the day, Matt, was 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 betting into some of these bigger, more liquid markets. And that's when I that's I don't know if that's when I met Matt. Betting into the well, big the, liquid markets down I was yeah. Yeah, well, one of that? the things yeah, very well, very shortly after like we when we when when, when we started uh you know betting the you know like this was what you know 17 you know years ago it was just bad lines like we would somebody would run around Vegas Mike 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 Mike, Mike Cook who's an ask as for the college basketball better today and and he he would there used to be tigers at the Mirage he would he would call him with the tiger report and then he, he and this was before really good like Vegas Insider was there but it was delayed he'd read the lines out and I mean I was sitting at a computer looking to see what Pinnacle had. If they were off by enough, we were making a you know making a bet. We were signed up a ton of uh, SIA accounts. Uh, where there was a there was a place in uh, they were technically licensed in uh, in in Quebec at an Indian reservation, and there they would just put up really really like recreational lines, like heavily leaning favorites and overs and then their their strategy was if you beat them for a little bit they would just cut you off but this was like that doesn't sound i mean i've never heard of that strategy before this is you didn't you didn't have to hold up an id with a picture then to get an account like all you needed was a you know a person with a, a you could get a net net teller account so easy find it so easy and you know you could just really really go through a lot of people as long as you made sure your 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 ip was new you had no, you had no issue that was the type of and but so you, wait, are you saying well, that it was it wasn't really that hard to beat big markets back then, just given the fact that lines were just so different from book to book? No, those are small markets. I'm okay. I'm leading into it. Sorry, oh, sorry. I, I, I took I took I took the long story version of this. <laughs> the whole yawn thing has had me like thinking tons of the past. Like these are thoughts I haven't had in years, and you know it's been a, the last week. I've I've done a lot of thinking about this stuff, so that's why it's on, on my mind. And hopefully, I'm not not not, not boring the seven listeners. So are we going to get into? Okay, we're going to get to the story. So, okay. <laughs> so that's what we were doing. But I knew that if we were being there was already multiple of us and we we're going to earn enough money and that wasn't going to last forever. It wasn't, wasn't going to be forever that you were going to walk into the Mirage and like make a scalp of places that were actually market making. It wasn't going to be forever that someplace in Quebec was just going to let people win 20, 30,000. Like it was so easy and then cut it off. I mean, mansion was for those who remember it, a, a one-time thing. It was like a tobacco magnet in Asia sticking up scalp because he wanted to gamble from the booking side. Like it's hard enough to win the other way. It's really hard when you only get picked off when you're wrong. So we we learned to code. Me and Andy, we we started writing programs. We're like, okay, how do we handicap? And our goal, like everyone talks about CLV, you know, closing line value. And for sure, the best way to know you're a winner, et cetera, is to beat the closing line. Make the bet at minus six on Thursday, closes minus seven on Sunday. You are going to win. This is absolutely a great measurement, absolutely a good way of looking at it definitely the way to start, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's two problems to that. The biggest problem is, well, if you're laying six and the game's closing seven, no one's going to take your bets. And when you're betting money versus somebody, if you're going to to win, somebody else has to lose. So one of the biggest skills, I mean, <laughs> maybe one of my biggest skills as a gambler is finding people, finding spots where people will lose money, 
right? If you're the guy that only lays six when it closes seven, if you're like, you know, one of those, one of these nits, one of, one of Jeff's old friends from MIT probably, then you're just not getting down. No one's going to bet with you. They're going to see that you're going to beat the number. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to cut you off. So how do you, how do you get down more? How do you, how do you bet more? How do you get people to want to bet everything against you? Well, you bet every game. Huh? I remember if that. you bet every game, bet super, bet late, Make sure don't beat the closer. You want the account to last forever, don't beat the closer. They'll let you win all kinds of money if you don't beat the closer. So it's disguise. I remember when I met you, Matt, down in Costa Rica. And by the way, Matt, you know, he's he he talks about how generous Jan was to him. Matt was that generous to me when I met him. You know, he invited me and with um he invited me to come with his, you know, his wife and his and all his betting partners um into the rainforest in Costa Rica for a week like that it was, was a fun trip. It was this yeah it was so much fun and i got to know what they were doing but i what what stuck to what stuck with me then was that you said that like you're trying to win one percent one percent is a big edge you know well one, yeah, yeah one one and a half percent and it's you know in that to me that was certainly not the way i was approaching things right but I it's part of this whole thing of it's part of this whole thing of of playing a long term game. So, Matt, if you go back to this idea that you ended up betting everything on the board, like, did you feel like all of those were at least EV neutral? Yeah, yeah, I didn't purposely make, I didn't purposely ever lose money. Got it. Purpose, but, right? But I mean, I don't think there's, yeah. I don't know. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is how much did you regress to the market? I mean, I, I would think you, you, your plays would all show edge, but I guess if you looked at how, what the. Um, if In you- general, overall, I probably had not enough, especially back then, res- not respect for the market. It's not like I didn't understand how it worked, but I was probably, probably too willing to bet, a, a, you know, a small, a, a, a smaller edge where I shouldn't have bet. But clearly it was beneficial because of account longevity. So, yes, I mean, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's, it, it, it's life. And I mean, with the people that, uh, people, and this is one of the, maybe the thing that Jan was absolutely the best at of all the advantaged gamblers that I've ever met is he never took it too. So he was never, he was never one of these people to, to, put the bet to put the ev over the life experience so like he played poker in a losing game and like i can't do that and like not not care he would he was just so willing to see the entire spectrum and and you know he his his his, his famous line was always life is good at the dara that the uh, uh Irish blogger wrote a wrote a uh, obituary. He brought that back up to me, and I was looking through my chats, realizing how often Jan would type "life is good." And he he meant it. He was a, a a person. This is I've always one of the biggest things that I've always tried to emulate from him, and hopefully I do. Which is, it's not really about the. It's just a bet. Every bet is just a bet, and it's what we're able to do with the, the life and the experiences that, that, that the bet gives us that are, that are important and not the winning itself. I think that's a great point. It's betting is a big, it may be a big part of our life, but it's not, I mean, there's things that are so much more important. 
And you, you do a, I mean, a fantastic job of this work life balance. I mean, I, oh, I'm, I, I saw I'm awful at it. I'm, I'm so you bad at the Orioles it, game I'm, and you had Fezzik I'm, or whoever making fun of you. And it was like, didn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> I will say I'm, I'm very bad at it though, generally. And, and that's, and, and I talked about it cause it's something I'm working on. I'm trying to be better, but it's tough. I think you and I both know, cause it's hard to be really good at something if you're not putting a lot of time in. And a lot of that is sort of consecutive hours. Cause you have to, for me, I think, I have what, to I think to dive Matt's... deep into things to be able to sort of get where I need to be. And I, I know Matt, I know how much you work. Like you work harder than anybody I know. If but your edge is 1%, Matt's... you work less than your edge is less than 1%. But you go ahead, Jeff. I think what Matt, what you're alluding to and, and Rufus, I don't think you're getting it is like your, and I agree with this. I think your attitude towards betting and not getting consumed by losers and sort of just, you know, like there's days I know that you just don't even follow your bets. You go on a hike or you do whatever. And that ability to divorce yourself from, you know, like I'm a, I'm a sweater. Like I love to sweat games and I love to like constantly sweat games. And so I've always um, really respected your ability to just like have it be a job that you, you know, put bets down and, and you feel pretty confident that you're going to win more than you lose. And so over the course of time, you, you're, you're going to be all right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Jeff. I mean, I think I certainly do sweat bets from time to time, but, but I mean, I'm also probably have a lot more bets, like not more money, but more, although probably that too, but more actual bets place. So, I mean, if I was sweating every bet, especially all these golf tournaments in like Europe and Asia and, you know, I mean, literally I'd be sweating like all the time. I'd be a full of perspiration. You do a good job of that. So Danky, Alan Danky said another. <laughs> really, it's been a tough year, really, hasn't it? Yeah. So the, he used to, uh, a group, another, I mean, man, talk about a good guy. So when I first, when I first met him or shortly after I met him, we went to dinner and he had one of those like old school sports beepers, like think like the shit from the nineties, right? Like it was a, like a beeper with sports scores. And he spent the entire time at dinner sweating baseball scores. Like, and he not just looking at either, like every one included like a thumb sweat. It was, it was something else. And I, I swear to myself, I said, like I made a rule right then there is one of the, one of the things he gave me. I said, I will never take my phone out to sweat a score at dinner. So I only ever sweat the scores when I go lunch. to the bathroom. And lunch. <laughs> I, I basically with kids now, the whole sweating things on your phone feels terrible, right? Like you're, you, so that's like the mm -hmm. biggest thing for me, but I think that dinner rule is a good rule. Um, okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's move into some, I'd like to talk about some like me. I've like been punishing myself by making myself listen to like mainstream media sports betting shows so that we can maybe educate some of the people that listen to the show about why some of these narratives that they talk about aren't really true. Um, one, I think that you hear a lot about is this sort of concept of, you know, like the square or the sharp side. Um, you know, there's one podcast where they're quoting all the time, um, the, uh, bet percentage and then the money percentage and using that as a way to determine where the sharp money is. Um, what do you guys, both of you guys can answer this as, as professional or former professional betters. 
what do you guys think of that approach and, and sort of this idea of sharp versus square sides? I mean, I guess I'll go first. You know, if you knew it was coming from a market making book and you knew at what price it was being bet at, that's one thing, but that's not the case. Um, you know, if you hear, if you know that 70% of the money was on the Browns and the Browns, you know, the Browns line might've closed minus seven, but opened minus four and a half. You don't know where that, what price that money was being bet at. So I think clearly like recreational bettors, I think believe like that the, the side with more money, especially if the public, if there's more bets on one side, but more money bet on the other side, that that's, you know, the side with more money bet on it is the sharp side. Um, and the, and, but again, like without knowing what price it was bet at, and if it was at a book that actually is, is really making a market rather than just copying other places and getting, you know, not, not really representative action of sharps, then, you know, it, it's pretty useless in my opinion. What are some examples of books that you would, you would like trust in that case? Are you talking about like Chris and Penny and those types of places? Yeah. Chris, Penny, Circa, books that, that deal a line, take action from anybody and will move their price based on that action and how much they respect it. Matt, do you have any thoughts on this whole well, idea? So this idea on his head a little bit. So I think that when I think that there's a ton of value to be gained in knowing what the quote sharp side of the bet is, especially like on game day. I mean, every especially football, less so some other sports now, but definitely football, there is often a lot of money being bet on a football side on game day. And absolutely, if you follow that side, you will win. The problem is you have no idea what side that is because the people that are doing the, bet, the people that are doing the betting are hiding the bets. They're they're the lines generally not moving. The people that are betting early in the week, the people that lay four and a half, the line goes to seven. Yeah, they're going to win, but that's just saying that the sharp side of, of the four and a half was the favor. Well, if the line's seven, I don't really need someone to tell me who they bet at four. And I mean, no shit, four and a half's a good bet, right? So I think that when they talk about the sharp side, you know, the square side just. I think there actually is merit to the idea, but figuring out what is the quote sharp side, that's the impossible part. Right. Again, you, as you said, you don't know what price someone got, got in, got into the position at. So. Right. Um, what about sort of uh, line moves or understanding like line moves? Like how do you, how, how, you know, is there, um, are there ways to interpret line moves for the average better, like to understand, you know, like what are moves you should follow? What are moves that you should bet against? Like, what is, what is the, you know, obviously like following you're always going to get a worse price, but like, how, how would you guys as, you know, what would you say to the recreational better about like interpreting line moves? I think the, is I don't think there's any way to possibly interpret line moves as a recreational better. If you're a pro better and you're, you have programs and, and software that's watching the market in extreme ways, if you're looking at the types of places that, that people are going to bet that generally don't move the market and watch them move, whether it's first or like a lot of things, like if, if there's a line that's painted seven everywhere and then all of a sudden Saturday morning, half of these books you've never heard of have six and a half plus seven is probably a pretty good bet. They didn't 
just puts up six and a half for the heck of it. The line's been seven forever. They put up six and a half because someone they respected bet the plus seven there. Now, most of the books that a recreational better is going to look at most of like the market makers, they're, they're not going to see the action until the entire market's moving. And when they do see action, the entire market is not moving a lot of, you know, not a lot of times, but it's possible that, that, that that's a, you know, a, a head fake type better, you know, a bet, a bet designed to influence the market or hold the market uh, for more money getting bet on places that aren't going to move the line. I don't think this is going to last long. I definitely think in America it's coming fast where the tier one sports books are going to take bets or going to take big money. People that are going to try to win are going to be able to bet. I mean, I've been working for about four years to, to build the software and the infrastructure for just this sort of thing. And there are, there are big sports books coming in America that are going to do this. So I do think this will change, but as of right now, where like Rufus says, there's some places that are, you know, limiting that for better too. And, you know, they, they Google your name and, you know, they, they, they limit you basically. And, with that being the case, I, I don't I, I don't think watching a line move has any has any real merit. Rufus, you have something on that or do you want to move on? So, sort of something tangentially related, because um, Matt was talking about how sharp Pinnacle used to be um, back in the day. And, and I'm not saying they're not sharp now, but I think they were back then. They were so much sharper than all, all the other books, basically. Um, and if your model, I mean, if there were games where you had an edge on one side and pinnacle had the best price on that side you liked, mm -hmm. would you stay away from that game? Yeah. So when pinnacle was that much sharper than everything else, we weren't really doing handicapping. So it didn't really come up. We started betting college totals a lot, uh, a couple of years after that, but we would bet earlier. It wouldn't matter. I mean, pinnacle would be up for a small, small limit and it just wouldn't matter definitely definitely i never bet into like pinnacle on game day in those in those days and did that i would have had no chance to beat that so here's a question actually let's say let's say you make you like the favorite okay for a game like a college fat, a football game um let's say you make the number minus 10 or something and it's monday morning or sunday night like it's early in the week pinnacle and chris and maybe circa have minus six and a half and everybody else has minus seven. Is that a situation where somebody bet at Pinnacle, Chris and Circuit bet it the wrong way in hopes that people are going to follow? Like, like, no, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I'm, I'm making the, the, the assumption that you're sharp here and that you know what the, and that, I mean, it's, it's a Sunday line for, you know, a week before the game. So it was a line six and a half, and then it went to seven in some places. It was a seven, and then it went to six and a half. Let's say seven went to six and a half at, at market making books. I would. Would you think, think that that would be kind of a sure. head fake? No, no, no. Okay. No, I shouldn't even mention the head fake thing. I mean, it's, it was just, I was just pointing out that if something's like, if another way to look at this is the people that are winning, the people that are, the, if you can win, everybody wants to try to bet your, bet your plays. They want to partner. They want to give you accounts. There's no, it's to get down if you can win. So if you think about it this way, if, 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 if a winner says, I want plus seven and I want, you know, whether it's much they can get or whatever their bet size is in the plus seven, what happens to the plus seven on anywhere that anybody that gets privy to this information or is betting in conjunction with the winner, 
they're going to all get taken, right? So if you have a situation where it looks like a good bet, but hey, there's a lot of sevens still out there. Why aren't they taking those sevens? I mean, there could be just somebody betting the other side too, but there could be a reason for that. And it, a lot of times it comes down to the the longer a line is sitting there, the more people that this is in, in the logic of sports betting, one of my favorite concepts in the book, is the longer the line's sitting there, the more people have seen that line, have the chance to say, is that a good bet or not? And obviously past it or the line would have moved. So if a line not moving is generally a sign that 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 nobody a lot of people looked at that line and not bet it see this a lot with the like one 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 line move fallacy i hear a lot and i think it's still very true today is some better on tuesday says man i really like i'm looking for an example this week uh somebody plus you know minus you know the team is a three and a half point favorite but you know what that line's three and a half let me wait because if someone bets the dog it's going to go to three and if they bet the favorite it's you know the, the points are worth less right now anymore the books are all way sharp enough where they're going to move equally on both sides anyway but even more important than that possibly is that because a lot of people are thinking that way if there's a line that's three and a half and it's just sitting at three and a half all week it almost for sure isn't going to go to three on game day because anybody that liked the dog at three and a half would be like man i don't want to pass that it's at three and a half so you see a three and a half sitting all week to game day if anything is probably going up and that's true around a lot of the key numbers that's a really good point Okay, I like that. Uh, the only other question I was going to ask about is uh, situational stuff. I know that you, I listened to the, the thing that you did last week and you kind of talked a little bit about how that's one area that you're probably the weakest in is kind of like looking at situational stuff. And I know Rufus tends not to do too much of that either in his numbers. Like he's, if he can find it and figure it out, he wants to put it in his model. Um, how do you guys feel about you know, like, and even just Matt, I, I know that like there last week you and I like looked at some games and you sent me some, and I think some of the games you sent me, the reason that you saw value in them was because of the, the situational piece of it, right? Like you had an, you know, an Appalachian state or like a, um, or, uh, um, I think there was one other team, uh, Texas, whatever that was coming off, you know, these big historic and, and, you know, you could look at it and say there would be a letdown there and whatnot. Right. So, mm. um, you For know, sure. how, how, how do you guys think that the, again, recreational better should think about situational plays or, or motivation and those types of things, um, you know, if they want to try to incorporate it into their handicapping. Uh. So I was like, Rufus answer. I tend to think that the situational stuff is probably fairly, fairly baked. And I think a lot of people are probably thinking about it, but at least for me, it's always been a situation. If I, if I, if I can't, if I can't quantify it, like really quantify it, it's like, it's, and this is not to say that these things don't exist. So for instance, I went to school at ASU and uh, my, my freshman year, I was, I shared a dorm with, uh, uh, with uh, scholarship football players. And I knew, like, I, I didn't bet then, and I, I wouldn't have bet based on this information anyway. And I'm not saying, you know, this this is no connection whatsoever. But I was aware of the line at the time. And if I was betting that year, just on talking to them and seeing how, you know, this, these were fresh, and they weren't even playing. But they were with the team. They are watching the film. They probably were going to do it every week. So 
that's taking the situational thing maybe one maybe one big step further and when you you know especially a sport like like football where where matchups are huge and early in the season there's you know if, if you think, look let's look at this week who knows exactly what about arkansas state do you guys know anything about arkansas state i bet a lot of pro betters don't know much about arkansas state at all i bet they saw a couple plays a couple possessions against ohio state what is the computer the computer don't know much they've been black they have a new quarterback uh a lot of new players on the team, hardly any actual data. I mean, they've played like two games, I mean, one half against Ohio State, and then they played Memphis, I think, the weekend. The Memphis game wasn't on TV. You'd have to try to watch this game, right? Particularly, like, you know, think about the early better. They have no chance. Meanwhile, guess who knows a shitload right now about Arkansas State? People in Arkansas. Old Dominion, the team they're playing. They've been doing nothing but studying this team. They've watched every play. They know their team watching the other team. I'll bet. I mean, so it's like, to me, that's like the, the extreme of situations. So this is a, a big reason why I've always thought that anything that can't be quantified should be considered noise by me is because I know that I can't come close to actually knowing what there is to know about a, any of these sporting them. I'm never, I could probably make a profitable wager on the old Dominion Arkansas State game. Meanwhile, I don't, I mean, I know a lot less about Arkansas State than anybody that we're, that's within the old Dominion program right now. So if I can't get to that extreme or have like, I mean, think about what we know situationally versus that. So that's why I've always said, oh, sure, I'm never going to figure that out. I, I agree with a lot of what Matt says. I mean, I think that I tend to think in terms of like general rules, if I can find that something is true generally i.e. teams coming off buys in both the NFL and college football tend to play better because they're more rested. Um, or golfers who played in, in a PGA event in America one week and then have to play the next week in like, you know, the Middle East or Europe or Africa and are probably going to, are going to underperform because because of the travel and the, um, the time zone, the, the number of hours they're losing. Right. So, I mean, things like that, that I can quantify. But what I don't take a stab at quantifying is, is this team better or is this player better with, you know, dealing with travel, right? Is this team better off a buy than this other team? Um, so I, I tend to think that most of the, I think most of the narratives you hear are probably baked in or are just honestly don't really have an effect. Or, uh, well, or as Matt said, not an effect that I can quantify, which means I would, I'm 90% certain it probably doesn't matter. There's the 10% of the time that it does, and I'm not able to quantify that, but I'd rather be right 90% of the time and do nothing than, than do a bunch of, like, make a bunch of assumptions and play armchair psychologist for the 10% of the time I'm going to be right. Okay. Um, do we want to move on to a little bit of, uh, of this year and talk a little bit about college? Um, you know, I think, um, you know, we went into this year thinking it was Alabama and everyone else, and maybe it was Alabama and Ohio um, State and everyone else. <clears throat> who, yeah. who, who said he, who, who said before the season that he had Georgia ranked higher than Alabama and got laughed at? You didn't say higher. I thought you said they were like a point one point worse is what you said. You, you basically had them very close. I remember you did say that. Yeah. I think so it how do we feel yeah. about that. 
I think Georgia's better, but I, I want to. But I'm I'm not the the college football whisperer, so I want to hear what he has to say. I think. I mean, we talked about this. I think briefly last year before the national championship game. It's, it's really hard to actually determine the skill of the top teams when they play. You know, much less good teams. Although that Oregon game was Georgia's been uh, terribly, terribly, terribly impressive. I mean, they've been amazing. I mean, Stetson Bennett might win the Heisman for, for heck's sake. Well, I mean, I, think about like people were worried about all the people they were losing on defense, all the people they lost to the NFL, and they basically just shut out everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's. I I think it's it, it's less than people. If you start with something that's like the best that it could possibly be, well, it's like okay, if you're going to replace that with other people that were obviously on the team last year, but clearly not as good, they weren't playing. I mean, obviously they get the, the extra year. It's hard to think they could be better. They could obviously be as good or close to as good, and they they they, they sure seem to be. I, I I think that was probably, I would call that positive variance for any preseason Georgia better backer, and that, that's allowed. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is essentially you need to expect some regression to the mean when a team was historically good and is replacing a bunch of players with people that were, yeah. yeah. I don't think you'd have to expect a lot. Like the longer the team's able to prove it, you know, now Georgia has been recruiting right there with Alabama. It's basically Alabama 2.0 at this point, but certainly Alabama's proven that it almost doesn't matter how many people they lose. The guys right behind every year are as good. Well, once you do that 10 years in a row, you're going to have more confidence than when you've only done it. I mean, really, this is the first time. I mean, Georgia had some good defenses before last year, but last year was better, and now here this year could be close. It was good. Now, I will say this. I don't. I know what Georgia did to Oregon, but the Georgia's defensive line got actually, in my mind, beat a little. If I, they sure didn't dominate the Oregon offensive line. And South Carolina's offensive line is terrible, so I don't think that's a really good test. I'm not sure when they actually have a, to have another good test. and. Ben, if the offense plays like they did, it it won't matter, you know, against anybody but you know Alabama, Ohio State. But I don't. It's it's not obvious from the two games thus far to me that Georgia's defense has to be as good as last year's or as good as Bama's, et cetera. I mean, the Stetson Bennett thing is pretty interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. you have a situation where you have a quarterback that's 24 years old, right? That's been in the system that just continues to. You know, it, 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 and you don't, most of these teams don't have that luxury, right? These guys are leaving after a couple of years and um, the sets and Bennett to win the Heisman thing is it's, it's fascinating to think about because like, he is a guy that could end up being like a big poster child for college football, right? This idea that this is this guy that, you know, that's what he wants to do, play college football, play at Georgia. And like for the NCAA to be able to highlight that would be very well, interesting. Draft it. When's the What's last? That? I mean, think about it. He could win the Heisman and they not, not get drafted. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not an expert at at that, but I wouldn't draft him. Well, he's small, right? And he doesn't have like tremendous. Amount great arm. What does he can be? He doesn't have the upside. I mean, why yeah. is the guy like Josh Allen a good draft? Why was Johnny Manziel a great draft choice? Because the upside is just immense. Well, Josh Allen and Jenny, Johnny Manziel are very different, right? Josh Allen was coming out of this program. Now, Johnny I don't Manziel. know that they were that different when they were drafted. I was super high on both of them. They were both drafted after other quarterbacks in the class. They both had super arms and super athleticism and got serious knocks for their decision-making. I, I mean, I, I did an evaluation for, um, of that draft um, for a different a project unrelated to gambling, and I remember finding that Manziel – 
um, we concluded that Manziel had extremely high variance basically there. Mm-hmm. And, but that Bridgewater was the far better prospect. Well, this, the, the this variance whole, like, is a better prospect. You the, want to hit a Josh Allen. How many, who cares if you have Teddy Bridgewater? But so the, the scouting quarterbacks thing is interesting, right? Because Josh Allen was a guy that, you know, came out of Wyoming, right? There wasn't a lot of, your knowledge from his performance. And a lot of it was based on his, like his physical attributes, his size, his arm strength, his athleticism. Right. And you see that, um, who was the, who was the guy that the Raiders took the black quarterback that was big and athletic out of LSU. I can't remember. Oh, the guy that did. Yeah. He ended up with some serious life problems too. Uh, how can we not even think of his name? It's the the big um, guy. Yeah. Yeah. God, I, I know who you're talking about. It's really escaping us. But he, well, he, had, that, he is, had that big, like, I forget what the bowl, the bowl game was, or, you know, that he. Marcus Russell. I guess. Marcus there Russell. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Marcus. But my, my point is that, like, for every Josh Allen that they nail by looking at these sort of peripherals and physical, there are a lot that they miss on. Right. And, and I think quarterback is interesting. Have you heard this whole, like, theory that, like, teams should basically draft a quarterback every year until they have like their That's guy. my theory. That's yeah. my so draft whatever I was, I was um when I was in Baltimore I actually had the luxury of um of hanging out with some of the analytics people in both the Orioles and the Ravens organization and and I actually kind of asked about that. I was like, you know, because Kate and I have talked about this in the past because it kind of goes against basically what what the Thaler uh, Massey findings um were, right? That that it's better to trade down blah blah blah. Um, and, and, but basically, I mean, I think now we're at a point where it's like quarterbacks, you shouldn't take any, anybody else besides a quarterback at the top of the draft, typically. There you have and, and you're right. Like, like right. you should take, you know, I think the smart teams are saying, you know what, if I don't have the, if I don't have the quarterback, mm-hmm. I should be taking a quarterback every year. Well, quarterbacks are so expensive now, too, that if you want to build a winning team, your your best chance is to get lucky in the draft where you catch them on a rookie contract for 20, like a, 25. a Russell yeah, Wilson. The Niners made their trade because they realized after paying Garoppolo, they paid him because they were like, well, this guy's okay. We haven't had a quarterback forever. They realized after paying him, I think, that they couldn't keep their rest of their town. They're like, well, shit, this was a bad idea. Let's change this up. And that's, I think, why they traded up for, for Lance was any chance to get someone who was going to be good, a system fit, and allow them to afford the rest of their talent it was i mean they've, they've said that, that was their that was their intention that's why they that's why they did that I, th- I think you'll see more teams doing it for just that reason and less teams signing quarterbacks i mean there's one reason the ravens haven't actually signed lamar like for what he wants be tough for them to win after signing i mean this is seattle the seattle went through this with russ wilson they, they signed russ wilson you know which seemed to be a good idea at the time for the second most money ending at the time and they, they couldn't afford any of the rest of their talent. And I don't think they've won a playoff game since. But if you have a top quarterback, you have a chance to win basically every year. And whereas if, I mean, look at the teams without a quarterback, I, I would still rather have a top quarterback and be paying him top quarterback money than, than not. But yes, if you but actually have a top Ravens, quarterback, like, I mean, here's right. the thing. If you, right. I mean, they still have control of him for this year and then two more years. Right. Well, this is my point. Franchise right. him and mm-hmm. and right now, and what if he gets injured this year or something like that? Essentially, there's I think there's some value in waiting if you know it's not gonna mess up the relationship or or whatever. But he wants he says he wants to play there. I, I think yeah. it's fine. They're you know, they're they're I think people forget that I mean he's making lots and lots of money. 
you know, we're talking a lot of pride, a lot of ego. And as long as he's okay with how that sits, what's it really matter? I mean, Cousins was kind of in the same boat and, and Cousins ended up doing perfect with that plan. He did. He took, he took on some risk. He was a gamble. He, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't strike me as the gambling type, but he, I don't a, think he's a gambler. No, no, I don't think so at all. Um, I mean, if you know much about him, but so I, I thought it was interesting what you said about the Garoppolo and Trey Lance, which is kind of a good segue into what, what you think of, I guess, Garoppolo right now versus Lance for the Niners. I don't think, well, I mean, Trey Lance could be a good quarterback in the future. I mean, he, he needs practice. He needs to get better. I mean, it's the thing with any of these guys, you, you draft a guy that's big and strong with a big arm that can run, it's great. But if he if he can't come off his first read quick enough in the NFL, you're just not going to convert enough third downs. He played a couple games last year. He was not good. And I didn't see the Bears game. And he did play half a quarter in the next game. I mean, the Bears game was in the ring anyway. I've, I've heard bad things, but. I can't imagine he had enough sample there. So who really knows? I think Garoppolo's a decent quarterback. I was a little bit surprised that uh, I guess it wasn't really quite a fit of somebody who could win and, you know, wanted him or wanted to, you know, also give the Niners a pick and and pay him. I think the Niners have a real chance now. I definitely, Niners are definitely upgraded in my book for this year with Garoppolo, which is not to say they did anything wrong to play him or anything like that. I mean, all their to me, all their choices made sense, but I think they have a better chance of winning – you know, week by week this year with Garoppolo than they did with Lance. It, it so won't you surprise you. It won't surprise you to know that I agree. Won't well, yeah, because you like old quarterbacks. I, I, I love, yeah. If Jay Cutler came back, he'd be like the mm-hmm. legend. You love that Flacco's playing right now. Um, what's interesting, though, I on this Lance thing, because someone asked me about this, because I have some 49er futures. What I think that the interesting thing about Lance versus Garoppolo is if you hold futures, I feel like, especially early in the season, I feel like you want variance. And the mm-hmm. idea yes. that you want, you want Lance is, yeah. Lance is yes. potentially more variance and potentially more upside and more opportunity that they could be, you know, a, For sure. more of an elite offense. Yeah. I think a future betting the Niners at a Super Bowl prize before the year was a plenty reasonable thing. And betting now probably isn't. They probably about are. Well, maybe it is a grapple of being underrated. It's a weekend. I see there's some other, there's other issues to it, but certainly you're right to want the variance. Even if he's your mean median thing again, maybe too, right? It's a, you're really betting, Super Bowl, you're betting on the team's ceiling. You're not really betting on their, their, uh, their average. A lot like the fantasy. You want to win the daily fantasy, put a, you know, there's a million people entering. All the guys on your team better be able to be the best scorer at the position. If they can't be, don't roster them. It's the same with futures. On the subject of futures, what would you make the Bills right now true price to win the Super Bowl? I don't know. I have in in a past life, my NFL sim would have an answer, and I might be shopping lines. But currently, without a sim, I I don't even know who hey, to play this. I, I, I know a good sim. You you. you uh, I, I can I can direct you to one. <laughs> Unabated.com. It is a very good sim. Our sim is really, really powerful. And I no. don't think a lot of people really get that. I think we've done an awful job of sort of explaining it and branding it, but it's it allows you to take a set of ratings and turn it into future probabilities um, and add in like whatever little quirks you want. It's, so. it's tremendous and it includes uncertainty. It lets you define the uncertainty. Yeah, so the, I mean, sim, the, the, the sim that we have that we haven't used in a couple of years is uh, is, is the hard coded uncertainty. Like, if I want to change the uncertainty, I got to go find it in the code. You well, have, the, un- you the uncertainty we have as a default is is 
what is the quote, like, in my opinion, the right number, like generally, but if, but there's certainly times it's just like situations, right? Like the situational factors, each team Mm -hmm. is different and it might be hard to quantify why before, like it's hard to quantify when you're building a model Mm -hmm. in some cases, why, or, or, or when, I guess I should say. No, that Sim is terrific. And I I don't mean that. Yes. It's, your whole site's terrific, Rufus. There's a lot. There's a lot of great tools on that site. You have a lot of great people working there. No, I appreciate I've seen good stuff. I appreciate okay, that. Enough, Matt. enough. I, enough I think back slapping. No, I, I think. Yeah. I, I think we have. We have. I. I love the tools we have that let you essentially that let you find the best price regardless of market and and kind of compare odds of in a way that no compare odds in a way that you you couldn't do before. The only thing that I think the site is missing is you got you could use a talc or two. Oh, for sure. We, we, we need Fezzik. Um, Rufus, what do you make the Bills to win the Super Bowl then? Um, I haven't, I have not run the simulations yet because my, I, I was late with the ratings this week as I realized um, with the, I had new, well, the data source changed things a little bit. My data source this year changed the data in a subtle way that I didn't pick up. And, and I realized, um, it created essentially a little bug um, in the code. And so I had to go back and in the last two days, I've been kind of building it, rebuilding it, but I now have power ratings. So there we go. Um, but I have, which team, do, we have, do we have the bills or San Francisco that you want to know about? Cause I have the bills, bills as the second best team. Well, I have them literally 0.01 behind the bucks and I'm probably too high in the bucks. Like, but, um, yeah, I mean, the yeah. Bucks lost a lot of players. They're yeah. even forgetting their. And this is no, this is a te- like Massey Peabody. Players. Massey Peabody right. is a team-based rating system. We use quarterbacks, but the rest, like we don't know the personnel changes to the defense. Right, so right. Clearly, like yes. Um, but we have Buffalo, then Kansas City, then San Francisco, actually. But there's a pretty big gap between those top three and everybody else. Do you Eagles? where? In our, my, and, where would you? The Eagles. The, the, I think I think the Eagles are the, currently the. Third best team in the market in the NFL is above on Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, so they're in that next group, basically, the sort of San Francisco, Rams, Green Bay, Baltimore, Philadelphia is sort of the next contingent. They're in the they're in the bottom of that contingent, but all those teams are within nine tenths of a point of each other. Minnesota was close before Sunday night. That was a, that was a shellacking. Man, yeah. Number what happened 16. there? You guys think just Kirk Cousins and I. I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, is, is Kirk Cousins a good enough quarterback? I mean, I, I, anybody's a good enough quarterback or not anybody, but like Jared Goff's a good enough quarterback to win a Super Bowl under the right circumstances because he almost did. Um, but is, do you think that the Vikings would be better off punting on, on Cousins and like, is it hurting their long-term prospects to have a quarterback that basically just keeps them in the middle of the league every year? I think I think it was the coach that was the coaching, especially the offensive coaching that was keeping him in the, the middle of the league up until this year. And this year was obviously a huge wild card. And I, I was I was not as high as many before the season, and then kind of got talked, you know, into like, yeah, maybe I was you know wrong on them after week one. Offensive line is theoretically improved. A lot of young defenders, great receiver. I think Cousins is, I don't know. Top 12 quarterback, 
Is that quote good enough? Is that better the type of guy is hard to win with when you're paying him what you pay. This is exactly the type of quarterback that I was talking about before. Russ Wilson, Deshaun Watson. I mean, these quarterbacks that are getting paid now a fortune. I don't see how these teams can win a Super Bowl with this, with this paying a 10th to 15th best quarterback this much money. Is he better? Is he is he better or worse than Derek Carr? Or the same? I kind of think of them in the same sort of line. better, but yeah, I mean that's that point taken. Not, I don't think it's there's clear separation one way, you know, in that group. It's funny though how quickly this is in the lens of him putting up that terrible stinker, right? And I think if after week one there was the narrative like that that Kirk Cousins is underrated, kind of he's kind of this you know very solid quarterback that just kind of gets the job done. Um, do you go into Russ, Russell Wilson? How are you feeling about Denver um, after their first couple games and, and what, you know, they were obviously someone that people thought was going to be a, a better team this year. Well, as you may know, I, I do not think highly of Russell Wilson. I think the, the, the season wins article that I, I, I wrote for, for ETR Denver was one of my, one of my, one of my unders. I think that Russ Wilson being overrated and I thought there was going to be a large coaching downgrade. And I had no idea that they, weren't going to be able to manage the clock. I was just thinking about about, uh, about about strategy, defensive strategy in particular. Losing Fangio, I thought was a, a pretty big deal. I was also pretty high on Pat Shermer as an offensive coach, and I didn't think that Hackett did much. I, I think what happened is Denver hired Hackett as Aaron Rodgers' bait. I think they were hoping to grab Rodgers and hoping that the rest of the team was good enough to win the next couple of years with Rodgers, and that didn't work out. So they're like, okay, let's go trade the farm for – for, for, for Russ Wilson, and I think Russ Wilson six, seven years ago was, you know, top five quarterback, but today 10 to 15. I don't think he's improved as his career has gone forward. So, obviously, lost a step or two, takes sacks. doesn't run anymore. He used to be just – how many third downs did he run for six, seven years? When was the last time he ran for a third down? He's not the same player. You know, I think – I've, I've heard I've heard Ciara blame for, for that. I, I think it's just father time. I mean, it's hard to be. I think if no, I like the explanation by, that it's Ciara. That's a better one. Be. Before the sex, he was, you know, <laughs> he was running for that first down. He was running for a lot of uh, first down. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so any other thoughts on? I mean, where are you on this, like Cooper Rush? Uh, I I know that like we all kind of talked about Dallas last week being value and that overreaction of that line. Um, how are we feeling he has about his take on Tennessee? I thought that was an interesting one. What's that? Matt's take on Tennessee. I saw it on Twitter. What was oh, yeah, I, I did not like tell that I, they may be one of I've they may be sure. one of the worst teams in the league. And so they're a team that seems to Twitter. every year get by without like they're not a flashy team. It feels like they over, have managed to overachieve every year. So to, it maybe not maybe it wasn't the best tweet because what I was really getting at somebody had DM me and the question was. Who do I bet to lose the most games? It's like, I hardly want to look, but I can't help myself. And it was like 29 to 1 on Tennessee having the worst record. I was like, man, that, that's actually a good – they're not that good. And they could bench Tannehill. Like, they lose a few games. It's like, oh, let's give this Willis guy a shot. The next thing you know, they're 1 in 16. Definitely Wait, within the realm of possibility. Years? I did not mean they were the worst team. How, how, I don't how think they're good at all, but I don't did not mean they were, like, you know, worse than Houston or anything. How, how long till they can cut Tannehill realistically without having a massive – hit like how many how, how much guaranteed money do you have on that contract i think they can get rid of master this year but I'm, I'm not don't quote me on that could be one more year 
they paid him a lot, but it was like it was very non-guaranteed. Like there was only there's only two or three years that were guaranteed in the contract. Would you rather have Tannehill or Kirk Cousins as a quarterback? Tannehill's actually been really good. I, I thought Tannehill was great in week one. I thought he was in a terrible, you know, spot last week. I mean he made a couple of bad plays, obviously, but I I, I think Tannehill's been underrated the last couple of years. What do you think of the Bengals right now? I feel like I was they were... super high on the Bengals going into the season. They, really? I, now part, I was super I, mean, I was pretty low. But they had a giant weakness last year, which was the offensive line, and they did what I thought was a lot to improve it. Now, they haven't blocked very well, and Burrow's been flat out bad. Like, I actually don't think their offensive line was bad week one, and Burrow took a lot of sacks. And they don't – not watching the 22 What's that? I mean, sacks are a QB stat. Right. Well, right. I mean, he, his Although protection year, could have been good in him and still t- taking sacks. I mean, look at Russell Wilson. Right. Russell Wilson, it doesn't like for sure. He takes sacks no matter what, just because he holds the ball so long. The QB is definitely the most important part of the sack. But last year, Cincinnati was very bad at pass protection, and this year their offensive line has not been a lot better. They've been calling a lot of run plays, and Adam Levitan pointed out on Twitter that he thought maybe one of the reasons they were calling so many run plays in passing situations was their lack of confidence in in pass protection. I honestly don't know. I think more likely it's only been two games, and they'll bounce back just fine. Like I expect to see in the playoffs. I, I mean. It's the Super Bowl hangover. You didn't model that? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm a big Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow's. I would definitely take Joe Burrow over any of these quarterbacks we mentioned. Russ yeah, Wilson, I mean, Carr, Cousins, by a lot. As one, I think Joe Burrow's like just out of side of the, you know, Allen Mahomes tier. I, I just think Cincinnati kind of overachieved last year. It, the Burrow you know, they, thing is kind of interesting though, right? Because so much of, uh, you know, obviously had a good year last year and, and, kind of highlighted that but like think about his college you know now what it looks like with the people he was throwing to in college right jamar chase and justin jefferson who's arguably what two of the top three wide receivers right now in the league or two of the top five wide receivers in the league he was still terrific if you don't think he was terrific go back and watch the championship game he was unbelievable and i think he was unbelievable last year as well and even and he before he got hurt, his his rookie season, I I think Joe Burrow's. I mean, like I said, just just outside of the Mahomes, maybe no one's close to Allen right now. Allen's been, I mean, he he can, can we, run in pass. Can we say something about how good Ohio State is rec- at recruiting quarterbacks? Because everybody that leaves Ohio State because they can't start goes somewhere else and ends up being a superstar. Yeah, and they, they might have accidentally year? made the bad choice again, right? I mean, remember they. They would have they would have won a championship with Burrow and instead went with Haskins mm-hmm. and now they went with Shroud over Ewers and I mean we saw one half of football. Ewers looked so what good. a half it was. He looked so good. I was I watching mean, that because I had Texas for that game. I was sad. I'm, I'm sad just as a fan that I, I can't see him for. I don't think it's he, it's a collarbone was not broken. He he he'll be back maybe in time for for, for some games. He was he was terrific. He'll 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 go first overall whenever uh, whenever whenever he That's, gets to be drafted in Ohio State. Be Wrong game. Okay. Big statement. Write it down. Okay. All right. Report it. Um, have, have any uh, any opinions for this week's NFL games? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Well, I asked. What did you say, Matt? <laughs> it's early in the week for me. I. <laughs> I thought you said who's playing. I was like, oh, oh he knows he's playing. Nothing. I got nothing. I, I, like, I like San Francisco. I don't like. I don't like. <laughs> we just talked about Denver. I think Denver's way overrated. I mean, here we got the Garoppolo value here. 
There's 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 money there's money on Denver though. So I there's no no rush. Let's see, who do I like? I like Carolina as a home dog getting three points. I make that game a pick. Um I like Tennessee. Wait, what's that line at now? Where is that game on the it's one and a uh, half? That's, yeah, I mean I don't love it because I make it I make I make Tennessee minus one and a half. So it's I mean I don't love it, but I do like it. Um, anything else I like? I like Tampa Bay laying. Um, is it still three? Like no, it's gone down. Ooh, what, what was the news that drove it down? So, so, so I don't know what drove Tampa Bay does. Just doesn't have a lot of players. I mean, they signed Cole Beasley. He might play this week. Scotty Miller is currently a big loss on their offense. They lose Scotty Miller. They're like, oh my god, what do we do without Scotty Miller? They have like no receivers. They're and Mike they Evans. Have, I think two linemen that started last year are, are, are starting on the offensive line. Uh, Brady's taking Wednesdays off and hoping not to get divorced. I don't know. I, <laughs> they have Tom Brady though. They do, and he although he's he's still amazing, but definitely not as good as he was a couple years ago. No, of course. You think that you think the Cowboys will end up favored in this game on Monday night? Don't think so. What's the no. line now? It's now. Oh my God! I mean, Cooper Rush is not good, and he's I mean, not good. He's not good. It's down to plus. It's down to plus one. It, Look, right. think about think about the overreaction we saw with the line last week, which I thought was there was like that was the one NFL play I actually made, which was on Dallas. Um, and I think now I actually show a little bit of value. I mean, I make the line um, Giants minus three now, <laughs> so. It, it just, I mean, it feels like such a, I mean, yes, we have a small sample size with Rush, but I think people are overreacting to a little bit of data because they don't have a lot to go off of. And they're like, oh, well, and now suddenly they can make an argument because they're like, well, he came in and won last year too. I don't think this line's a lot different. I don't know what the look ahead line was. I don't think Sunday's game mattered much in this line. I, I, the Giants are not good. And that's, well, what, that's what you see. Well, that, that, that was are, are a bad football team. And so I took I took the two right. and a half on Sunday because I, like when the lines came out because I knew I knew this was going to go down because I knew a lot of conventional wisdom was that the Giants were really bad. Yeah, the Giants were bad. Two nothing. So that's why I asked if they if the Cowboys might end up favored because the Cowboys defense seems like it's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it only would like fifty one percent right now, so like it won't be surprising to to, to see the line move a percent or two more in that direction. My, my, my friend, who's a very educated, diehard Cowboys fan, Thomas, um, was basically saying, like, you know what? This is good. I mean, this injury is good because it's going to help us get a high draft pick next year because this, this, I mean, we can basically punt on this season. Like, he wasn't, like, he's high on the Cowboys when they're, I mean, he, he's a realistic fan. Um, the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs. Cowboys are so? good, and Dak's really good. Dak's not that long. Yeah. I'm a huge Dak fan. Rufus, I like that you're quoting just your friend that's a fan as your analysis. Yeah. For the, well, well, now I can tell him to listen to the podcast. It's helpful. And we might have an eight. Um, how about – It's how a about, weekend NFC too. Anyone makes a playoff. I mean, heck, I'd, I'd, I'd rather have Dallas to – I'd rather – I would take Dallas to win the Super Bowl over Dallas not making the playoffs. Think. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, I will gladly take that bet. Yeah, it might not be a good bet. <laughs> if you're taking the bet, I definitely don't want it. Um. What about the Falcons-Seahawks game, which is a pick Because I know that you think the Seahawks are terrible, right? Seahawks are really terrible. Really? The Falcons may or may not be terrible. The Seahawks are really bad. So, 
I think people thought they were going to be, they, well, okay. You thought that Russell Wilson was overrated. And so I think, the market, I think market, right. But I think the market right. thought, I think you think the difference between him and Gino is smaller than the market does. Is that right? Yes, that, but or, not, or you think Gino's, Gino, unless you I think, might think Gino Gino's is, worse than the market because Gino is really bad. I can't, I mean, think about how Drew Locke, I mean, I wonder if Drew Locke is beat like Drew Locke for the job. That tells yeah, you something maybe, right there. Maybe, that, te- maybe, that, that tells you something. Maybe he's sleeping with Carol's granddaughter or something. Lock, I mean. Yeah. I mean, Pete Carroll might actually, I would think Pete Carroll would, it tells would like us that. that it tells us that some, for some reason, someone on the Seattle uh, staff thought that Geno Smith was a better fit or a better, better player. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, these aren't, I mean, I, I'm assuming they're not trying to lose and trying to put out a, a bad team, a worse team. So if you, if, if I operate under that premise, then we can say that they, they believe Drew, he's a little bit better than Drew Locke, or at least. And we know we I mean, Drew Locke's also not good. Oh, he's not great, right. but that, right. but that's my point, Rufus. He was like, it doesn't say the anything. future in Denver for a little while. For how long? I don't know. There was a good, I don't know, half a season I where mean, people Katibo thought Tebow was the future in Denver at one point. That's true. I mean, um, Paxton Lynch was the future in Denver at one point. How do so how do we how do we feel? Denver about, doesn't have a bright future, I guess. Matt, how do you feel about Indianapolis? They were everyone thought they were going to be better, or at least I heard a lot of the pundits saying that they were going to be. A lot better this year. Um, addition by subtraction, no Carson Wentz, but they they certainly have not looked particularly good the first two games. That was another one of my unders in the in the uh, the ETR. They, I was I was pretty low on them. I I think they lost good defensive coaching. I anytime you sign a thirty, was he thirty six year old quarterback? I, I I I it wasn't ever that good. No, that, that that they weren't that good last. They weren't in my mind. They weren't that good last year. Maybe they improved the quarterback position. They didn't improve any other positions, and they were supposed to be better by a decent bit. It, it, it kind of surprised me. Were you on Atlanta over two? No, the the the, the, the five I had were Tennessee under, Indy under, Denver under, Packers under, and Lions over. I think I'm on all I'm on all those unders except Tennessee. I, yeah, you know, right. I, t- I take the bad, I take the bad teams over and the good teams under typically. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, here, wait, here's my hot take. I have Jacksonville with the higher rating right now than Indianapolis. I don't think that's that. Jacksonville's not very good. Either. <laughs> Jacksonville's. It's, Jacksonville's I think Doug Peter, I think Doug, I mean, Doug Peterson, the upgrade from coaching this year or from last year to this year is pretty well, large. Should... I would think. That's for sure. I didn't see much of the game versus Indianapolis. I heard Lawrence is better. Lawrence has been so inaccurate every time I've seen him. Uh, I saw the Washington game, saw him, and he didn't look very good at all. Like he looked like the same as you know last year. Not very accurate. Not very good. I would say Jacksonville has a better chance to make the playoffs than the Colts do. Wait, Jacksonville's what's the record? Are they one and one or like two and zero? They're one and one. Yeah. Well, maybe not because someone has to win the darn division. So maybe that's a maybe that's a garbage statement, but. What I mean is Jacksonville has variance to be an okay team, whereas I think Indianapolis, you see what you get, get what you see. Yeah. All right. Tennessee's clearly the class of that division. <laughs> any any other comments before we let the worst division we've seen in a while? Um uh, I mean the NFC is based to differ every year, but Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, Matt. So it was thanks, thanks fun guys, to, very much to, to have you involved, and uh, hopefully we'll get you on again uh, later this year. 
Thanks and, a lot, uh, Matt. This is a fantastic discussion. And um, thanks, guys. I appreciate the, the allowing me to tell my stories. Yeah, and little fond memories of uh, of Jan, and maybe like a little little remembrance of him from at least his friends at the Bet the Process podcast. So um, we'll talk to you guys all again next week, um, and uh, hopefully we'll have some next week. We're actually going to have uh, Jeopardy James on talking about advantage players uh in that world um so hopefully you guys all tune in next week the breakdown the data analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic the bottom line is watered down it seems like they don't get it puppet he's about to end just running off a let it 